0: Hello again, and welcome back to Firing Film. Today we return to the franchise series as Sam and I discuss the Saw franchise. Once again, our discussion was recorded over a video conferencing app, so I can only apologise for any distortion or difference in the usual audio quality. That being said, let's get into it. Let's get into it. Let's get into it. So, a bit of preamble to begin with, as usual. Yeah. So Saw's an American horror franchise created by James Wan and Lee Wannell, who I met, actually, a couple of years ago. Um, When they released Insidious, they did a Q&A in Manchester and I went and I got the absolute pants skirt off me by Insidious and then met them afterwards and they were lovely. Uh, It consists of nine feature films and additional media, which we'll come to in a little bit because we're going to do spin offs before we get into the films. So the franchise primarily revolves around John Kramer, also called the Jigsaw Killer or simply Jigsaw. He was introduced briefly in saw and developed in more detail in saw 2 and the subsequent films rather than killing his victims outright kramer traps them in situations called tests or games to test their will to live through physical or psychological torture and believes that if they survive they will be rehabilitated despite the fact that kramer was murdered in saw 3 spoiler alert, the films continue to focus on the posthumous influence of the jigsaw killer and his apprentices by exploring his character via flashbacks the franchise grossed more than $1 billion from box office and retail sales by 2009, and the films have collectively grossed over $976 million at the worldwide box office as of 2018. The film series as a whole received mostly mixed negative critical reviews, but it's been a financial success at the box office and is one of the highest-grossing horror films of all time. While the f- horror film franchises of all time, I should say, while the, while the films have been classified as torture porn by some critics, the creators of saw disagree with that term. So just to kind of pick out a little bit of stuff from there, so obviously it's successful, and we can't really deny it's success. Mm. Um, the idea of that the most of it has been mixed reviews on negative reviews, I think that's a little bit unfair, and we might kind of delve into this a little bit more afterwards, when we take the films one by one, but from going through Wikipedia pages and from doing the research and all that kind of stuff, Saw 1 is really the only one that got positive reviews from critics, after which it all kind of went a little bit downhill because they all then just felt that it's kind of that old thing of you've taken one idea and you've expanded upon it, but you've gone down a certain direction was a little bit gratuitous and maybe it's a bit gory and it's a bit bloody. And I think ultimately the fans of this franchise, me, namely, um, are going to go to more films and kept going to these films for very specific reasons. And those reasons were that for whatever, you know, psychological reason that we've got, we like a bit of gore every now and again. And we like a bit of, you know, oh, how are they going to get out of these traps? And for me, it was like, it was always that kind of that puzzle element of how how are all these traps going to fit in together? How are all these jigsaw pieces gonna fit in together and all that kind of stuff, whereas I think critics just kind of poo-pooed it a little bit so what we'll do, we'll go through the spin-offs just quickly, like we did with the Batman one, so uh, a couple of video games, were you aware of these? No, not at all, <laughs> yeah, I think I played them both actually, what
1: platform are these on?
0: Uh, PlayStation 3, Xbox 360 and Windows, that was the first one. Uh, oh, and the second one as well actually, so Saw the video game, released in 2009, part of the Saw film franchise, and it's set between the first and second films. So, in the first Saw film, and again, we'll get to this in a minute when we do the films, David Tapp, you know the guy played by Danny Glover? Yeah. He dies at the end, yeah? Yeah. In the game, which is set between the first and the second films, you play as Danny Glover's character, David Tapp. Um, so he's not, <laughs> apparently he's not dead. Um, He's healed from his gunshot wound, which I seem to remember being in his face, or at least his chest, and places him in an abandoned insane asylum to teach him a lesson in life appreciation, because he needs another one of them. And then Saw Two: Flesh and Blood, which came out uh, in 2010, so a year later, and to coincide with the release of Saw 3D, the final chapter, this is David Tapp's son, Michael, as he searches for clues behind his father's death. So yeah, they were a bit naff, I'm not going to lie, they were, they were a bit naff. It was a bit like uh, Resident Evil, yeah, but bad. And <laughs> the idea was that you had to keep going into all these rooms and try and find things, and it just didn't work. Comic book, Saw Rebirth, was a chronological prequel to Saw. Uh, it was an animated comic to promote Saw 2, and the idea was that it was canon for so long. But then the films contradicted the events of the comic book. So it kind of just got, you know, fell apart for a little bit. But it introduced Jill, Jigsaw's wife, who was introduced in Saw 3 a little bit. And it began doing things about her, Jigsaw's backstory. So the idea that he's an engineer and he's got brain cancer and things like that. And then the more interesting spin offs are rides and experiences. So Saw the Ride is a roller coaster at Thought Park, never been on it. Uh, It features an enclosed dark ride section with special effects before cars travel outside and are pulled up a 100 foot vertical lift into a 100 degree drop, which sounds lovely. (laughs) Uh, And then Thought Park opened a temporary Saw attraction called Saw Movie Bites for Fright Night and then they did a couple of horror mazes, which actually reminded me of something that me and Amy, my wife, did. So um, we did a star themed escape room once, and it was pants. Um, it, it looked like the bathroom from the first one, to be fair to them. And there was a lot of like different lockers in it and all that kind of stuff. And as you all know from doing escape rooms, the idea is that once you find a clue, it yeah. leads you on to the next clue. We found we opened this locker and a wine bottle fell out, and it had a cord on the front of it. And for the life of us, we couldn't find the thing that the cord connected to. And then we were going around, going around, going around. And we knew that there was a door that we had to get into, which was ultimately going to be kind of like our escape route. Um, So we were, we were plodding along as we were, and then we just realised that we were running out of time and we were getting nowhere. And obviously they watch you, don't you, the people that are running the, the game, and they know what you're doing. And we got to this point where it was just like, right, we, 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 we can't we can't do anything now. What are we supposed to do? So the time ran out. The guy came in, and he said oh so you're having trouble you couldn't get into this door and he said no because like, we've tried every code that we've found and we have no idea what we're supposed to use to get into this door What you know? and he said right so you know when you found the code to open the locker and we're like no because the locker was already open and he said, all oh, right, so you've got the wine bottle. I said, yeah, we've had the wine bottle since like the first five minutes because the locker door was open. Oh, that means that somebody didn't reset it properly because you were supposed to unlock that with a cord later on. And then the wine bottle was supposed to lead you into this room and then you were supposed to do something else in this room. So because, oh they, didn't, because they didn't reset the room properly, we discarded the wine bottle because it didn't work on any of the first things that we tried. And we just totally forgot about it. So essentially um,
1: the game for you.
0: Essentially they ruined that game. Um, But yeah, so we didn't escape that, so we're we're dead at the hands of Jigsaw, according to them. Righto, we'll get into the films, and we'll actually start off in 2003 with the short film. So it was directed by James Wan, and it was written by James Wan and Lee Whannell. Prior to 2003, they'd begun writing a script based on a horror film, citing inspiration from their dreams and fears, which sounds like a cliché. Upon completing the script, uh, they wanted to select an excerpt from the script to film and then pitch to studios. So this reminded me a lot of what Whiplash did. So Damien Chazelle, who directed Whiplash, he mm. filmed 15 minutes of his original feature film script, shot that as a short film, released it. It did really well, and then he was able to go on and do the full thing. So this is what they did with Saw. So um, they got the composer, Charlie Klauser, who now is well-known now for that famous sort of jigsaw theme to uh, compose the score. They had a couple of standing actors and they shot it with relatively no budget. The scene that they used and the scene that they shot was Amanda's burr trap from the first one. So where she's wearing that thing around her face and it opens up and it'll kind of separate a jaw. Uh, Yeah. They used used Lee L instead. So the writer who plays Adam in the first film, he was in the burr trap and, uh, you know, he gets out of it and all that kind of stuff. And the idea that Jigsaw of Billy... on on his tricycle wheels back in and all that kind of stuff so they did it they went around they shot it they they pitched it to a number of different people they traveled to lionsgate and lionsgate said yes we will give you 1.2 million dollars to make your script into a full feature film and instead of being paid in advance this is very smart james one and lee when agreed to take a percentage of the film's release profits which actually turned out to be more than initially expected um because if we come to 2004 and we come to saw it was made for 1.2 million and it grossed 103.9 million at the box office so if we take off that 1.2 that they use for the budget maybe a couple more you're looking at around 100 million in profits and james wan and lee went out took a percentage of that profit so how I much percent they'd... though Well, this is the thing but i mean even if it's 10 percent, they've still bagged themselves 10 million, aren't they oh that's epic even if it's 1% they've still got a million what do we more Arnie, than... i think Arnie did that with twins He might have done there's there's quite a few actually that have done it um were you know like you know so, so for example as we're on Sol one so Kerry elwes i think is how you pronounce his name who plays Lawrence Gordon, he took he took a percentage of it as well rather than being paid up front um and i think actually for some cases it does play off really well but yeah. in others it might not do uh, so this was directed by James Wan, so this is the first Saw film, it was written by Lee Wannell based on the story by James Wan and Lee Wannell and it was produced by Greg Hoffman Oren Koules, and Mark Berg who are together, the three of them the producing team behind these films so their names come up quite a lot it had a shooting budget of 700 grand and it began principal photography in 2003 and shot for 18 days, so it's not that much of a big kind of Obviously, scale film. The bathroom was the only set that had to be built. Danny Glover completed his scenes in two days. So, obviously, they kind of had Danny Glover for two days and then month from there. Um, and I think for us and for the kind of moving on for the things that we're going to talk about for every film, we're going to talk about traps and we're going to talk about plots. So, I think if we start off with the plot, so the idea of this one is that now iconic, I would say, opening scene of two men chained by their ankles two pipes in a bathroom and there's a dead body in the middle of the floor neither of them know how they've got there neither of them know who this person is in the middle of the room and they very slowly but surely start to find things in the room that alleviate some kind of knowledge to how they've managed to get there they find a key which they later keep to open a little box they get a phone they get pictures and it soon comes out that Lawrence garden Um, his wife and his daughter are being held captive by somebody who we believe to be Jigsaw. Adam is aware of who Lawrence is because he's been hired by David Tapp, so uh, Donald Glover's character. Not Donald Glover, Danny Glover, Donald Glover, somebody else.
1: Um,
0: (laughs) That's Childish Gambino, isn't it? Uh, (laughs) um, He's hired by him to take pictures of Lawrence Gordon and follow him because Tapp is convinced that Gordon is Jigsaw. So it kind of it builds this little world of like all of these different things are happening outside of this bathroom, but the thing that's happening, kind of prominently, is that these two key characters are chained by their ankles. For me, as we're still on pot, the plot twist at the end of the film is still, I think, one of the greatest plot twists I've ever seen in a film. Where Lawrence saws his foot off, um, you know, because he has that big realization of we're not supposed to saw through the chains, we're supposed to saw through our feet. And then, so he saws his foot off. uh, He clambers out of the room. Adam beats Zep, who is the guy who was kidnapping Lawrence Gordon's wife and uh, child, to death with the top of the toilet, as you do, sanitary. And then Adam's left there to die. He plays the last tape, which falls out of Zep's thing. And it's Jigsaw saying, well done, Adam, you've passed your test. And then as this tape is playing we just see the guy who was supposedly dead on the bathroom floor stand up and have a nice stretch because he's been there for about eight hours. And he stands (laughs) up, he pulls the prosthetic off his head because he's bleeding everywhere, and it turns out that's Jigsaw. And I remember watching that for the first time, and I was like, oh, my God, I would have never had called that ever in a million years. So what we'll do then before we do traps and talk about the kind of specific, I suppose, gory elements of it I watched this for the first time, I think, when I was fourteen or fifteen, underage. You never know. But I remember the na- one of the neighbours giving me the DVD of it and saying, "You need to watch this. It's really good." Um, and again, at that point, I don't think I was really into horror, and I wasn't necessarily too fussed about it. But she said to me, like, "It's not. It's not too scary, but it's really good, and the ending's really good." So I watched it and that kind of kicked everything off and then I was kind of really interested in Saw 2 and then that was where it really picked up and I kind of followed it from there. But where were you What where were you when the first time you watched Saw?
1: Yeah, so um, this is a funny one because with, obviously I was brought up, not brought up, but I watched a lot of um, horror films probably way younger than I should have done. And I kind of fallen out of love with horror a little bit. I felt like as I was getting older, some of the modern horrors were really, really poor. Um, and I didn't think they had the same sort of feel as the the classic ones, as I would call, as I was watching them in the 90s, maybe early eight, uh, the 80s as well. So I watched the first Saw film was Saw 3. So it wasn't number one first. It was the third one, and it was in uni. And a friend of mine said, you have to watch this. Like, like have you never seen it? And then I went back to two and then to one. Um, and I was shocked, actually, because of how it surprised me of how good it was. Um, like you said the twist at the end and the concept of the film as well so it actually was a pleasant surprise in the sense that I wasn't expecting much from like what I classed as modern horror back then Um, but I thought James Wan and um, wan L did a really good job in the sort of writing and I thought it was just a lot different it was completely not what I expected and clever to be quite honest it was different so um, when I ended up going back it must have been I would say well into uni now, so we're talking probably 2008. I went back and watched the uh, the first three, but it started with the third one. So obviously, you can see it would have been problematic. Um, yeah. But I, but I went into it with very little expectation. I was more forced to watch it by roommates, <laughs> <laughs> and then and then I really enjoyed it. So then I had to backtrack.
0: Because <laughs> I was going to say, like, if you started with the third one, you probably had no idea what was going on.
1: Well, you know what I'm like, ads. I got someone to detail explain the plot as to what's going—not the, the the every film, but like what's going on, who's this yeah. guy. I was pro- I was I was pretty laid back and thought this will be rubbish. This and um, I was really pleasantly surprised, and it was so clever. And I do like Danny Glover, so yeah. um, because obviously, like I said, Predator Two, um, Lethal Weapon—that's what I know him for. So to see him in this role. Um, as a sort of tortured, obsessed cop was an interesting thing to see him as. um, So yeah, I thought that was quite
0: good as well. I realised as I was going through the plot that there were probably certain things that I missed out that might not necessarily make sense to anyone who's listening and hasn't seen these films, but there's no other way to do it because you'll always miss a detail when talking about these films and you'll always miss, oh, that connects to that and that connects to this because... I found last night, and I sent these to you. These videos on YouTube by a channel called Dead Meat, where they do a kill count for every one of the Saw films, and it was just the kind of abridged version that I needed to get myself ready again of going back into talk talk about these films. Because, like when we did the Marvel one, I think it's obvious that none of us, had, neither of us, had gone back and watched, you know, twenty two films. When I did the John Hughes chat with James King, I went back and I watched the John Hughes stuff, and I always try and go back and watch as much as possible. You'd done Mission Impossible ready for when we did that yeah. one. Yeah. Um, but when it came to Saw, and we were talking about him, it in, as soon as I texted you and said, we're going to do it on this day, I thought, oh, crap. That means I've got eight films or nine films, eight films it is, to <laughs> go back and try and watch before that. And these aren't the films that I can stick on while we're in the summer holidays, while Ruby's running around the front room. I, I How am I going to do this? And this this guy, this um, dead meat on YouTube, really helped with his kind of abridged versions of the film while he was going through the kill count. So I've watched a lot of them. You watched a couple of them as well. So that's kind of got us ready to talk about it. Yeah. The one interesting thing to bring up is genre for the first one. I see it as just a pure horror um, but a lot of people at the time, and I think maybe 1-1-L one one as well, they argued the toss that this was actually a psychological thriller, and it was less of a horror. I think it's definitely got less gore than any of the other films, and it's got it's got kind of less violence and things like that, and maybe it does tend to sort of stray the line of thriller a little bit. But one thing that critics picked up on is that there were clear comparisons, at least in tone, to seven David Finch's film. And there's a big thing on Wikipedia, so I've kind of just pulled this from from there. So, when asked if the 1995 thriller film Seven was an inspiration to Saw, else said, for me as the writer, definitely. I mean, Seven is just a very well-constructed film. If you're writing a thriller, it can't hurt, it hurt to study it. In terms of the story, though, James and I never really felt Seven was that close to our film. I guess if you stand back, you have two detectives chasing a psychopath, who uses vile methods to teach people lessons, and those points echo to Seven. What we always liked about Saw, though, was the fact that the story is told from the point of view of the two psychopaths' victims instead of the police chasing after him, as you also often see. Entertainment Weekly's Owen Gleiberman compared the plot to Seven, saying that it's a blatant imitation of Seven. Saw features a lunatic sadist whose ghoulish crimes are meant in each case to marry the, victims of, uh, the sins of his victims. The twist here is that the psycho doesn't kill the uh, doesn't do the killing somebody else richard Leskowski, said saw wants to be taken as another seven though it features per- perverse gross out scenes and a villain with a superficially pedantic motive behind his crimes his victims if they survive have learned to appreciate life more it lacks the finesse and the polish of the david fincher film and i think to criticize saw on lacking finesse and polish is a little bit unfair given as this is two first-time directors with a relatively low budget of course it's going to lack the polish and the finesse of a david fincher film and at the time lionsgate weren't a big studio anyway so do you do you kind of pick up on the the kind of connections between the two do you think there are some
1: so when you mentioned that, I, I wasn't aware of them comparisons at all. But now that you've mentioned them, I can see exactly what you mean uh, or what them people, um, critics are saying. But for me, when I watched the film, I, I don't link it to Seven that closely, no. Um, I think it's its own film in its own right. Um, some of the themes cross over, um, and I think that it can be influenced by Seven. But I, I didn't feel like the killers were the same in psychological ambition i think they're completely different in what they're looking for i think um john kramer is a sort of um he's become disillusioned with the world but once had a good heart and he's sort of like with because of his illness is sort of looking to around within his society and it's almost he's almost representing the world at the minute like he's almost saying it's become so not corrupt isn't the right world but people just don't value life enough they're not grateful. Whereas when I look at Kevin Spacey's character, I think Kevin Spacey's more um, enjoys the game. He enjoys the anarchy. He just enjoys the pleasure of of um, people playing his game. I don't think Jigsaw enjoys people playing his game. I think he wants to teach people a lesson more. Whereas I think Spacey really likes to... Pe- he wants to um, elevate himself to another level in his mind. He's, he, if people complete the ritual... He's going to be, he's, hes you know, delivered all these sins. He becomes something bigger. I think in his head, he's this mastermind of it all. Jigsaw doesn't look for that sort of status. He just wants to, I think, teach people a lesson that will then make them better people when they go back into society. The problem is that these methods, you could argue, are ridiculous in the sense that you probably, in a real life, if you put someone in that scenario, they'd be mentally scarred. So I don't think they'd be able to go back to normal life. You know, if they've been in these sort of traps, um, they probably would suffer some sort of PTSD or something.
0: One of the things that this Kill Count stuff, the, the, the Dead Meat YouTube channel that we're watching, keeps coming back to is, Jigsaw's clearly a killer. Like, as much as he says in the films, oh, wait a minute, I'm not the person that kills them, they make their own choices. Oh, hang on a minute, they didn't put themselves in a barbed wire trap. (laughs) <laughs> they didn't put themselves in, you know, in an oven or whatever else it is. Like, <laughs> give it a rest.
1: I know he does. He, I, I mean, that's the thing I think I wrestle with the most throughout the whole series. Um, is is definitely that's that's its biggest question mark for me. Uh, there's there's scenarios where I can believe it, but as the films go on, I'm just like, seriously, you must have put so much effort into these traps, and you can't keep telling me that. These people deserved this. When you've done it the first time, and then you're going on doing it for however long, it's kind of like maybe you need to look at yourself because I know you've got cancer and you know and all these things, but it doesn't mean you have to put your pain onto other people. You just have to deal with your own stuff. But he's like, he's like, no, 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 and he's even goes to the lengths of even constructing like a. Well, I can see him in the background. Jigsaw the top, the, the, the doll. You know oh, that I... even makes the doll like. Isn't that just sort of? Um, prodding the victim a little bit—it's yeah. almost playing with them. But like, what's the need for that? Like, if you're trying to teach them a lesson, the, re- the tape recorder would be fine. But instead, he has to like create this doll riding on a little moat, like little trike. Are you ready to play a game? I mean, like, <laughs> I that's you what. what
0: you know what would frighten the life out of me if I just got an unmarked envelope with a tape in it saying you need to appreciate your life a little bit more, that would scare the crap out of me but then like, I I like the idea of thinking about if he he, he didn't die and he was eventually captured and he stood up in court and they're going, John Kramer, you face X amount of counts of murder and he goes, hang on a minute, I didn't kill anyone, they all killed themselves Fine, you face X amount of counts of kidnapping, endangerment, and you know, like sort of harm to life. Oh, that's fine, I'll take that then. Yeah, I did hurt him a bit when I put that saw on, and you oh. know, I did, I, I did kidnap this guy, so yeah, I'll take that. Kidnapping's oh, fine.
1: John Kramer gets cured from cancer. How do you feel now, John? After oh. killing so many people, <laughs> you deserve your life. Wow, so John feels good again. John's like, Oh, I feel good about myself. Oh, wait. There's so many people that are now dead.
0: <laughs> I've got to tidy this house up. It's a mess. <laughs> <laughs> How did it take him to build them traps as well? <laughs> well, this is the thing. This is the, what the, the film's kind of like later on as we go through them, especially the later ones. It's like, oh, so that's when he built this. That's when he did this. That's when he did this. But it's like, come on. like Who's, who's thinking of this stuff?
1: Hey, I've met Tobin Bell in real life. There's no way he could have built all that stuff.
0: I was waiting for this anecdote. He <laughs> was a bit grumpy, weren't he?
1: He was a lovely fella, um, but I I felt like... He, so it was at um, Bowlers in Manchester. It was a convention and it was a horror one. And he was there and uh, I think he was like the guest speaker. He was like, well, sorry, they have guest speakers on all day, but he was the one everyone was like looking forward to. He was a lovely, lovely man, but... I think from uh, fans that were anticipating him because I'm not a, a huge saw fan. Um it's not you know it might make my top 10 but it, it wouldn't be at the top end but like I think fans I could just sense in the crowd were a little bit disappointed. He was almost too nice of a man. People couldn't believe that like he, you know it's like why did you pick this character like people were like asking him about jigsaw and this and that and he just he just was like giving really like basic responses like he's a very bad man yeah um <laughs> Terrible, really. He almost like just—he almost comes across as like a stage actor, but got yeah. this as like jigsaw. It almost makes you think, why did he take this on? It's almost like you won't put the two people. How did he channel himself into that? Because he didn't seem like he was connected or attuned to the character at all, really.
0: <laughs> Never ask an actor why did you pick this job because the truthful answer is usually money.
1: Yeah, I know. Rubens it.
0: <laughs> There's that story in Michael Caine where someone says, why did you do Jaws 3? And he says, because I wanted to buy my mum a house, or something like that. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Right, so moving on to 2005, Saw 2. So we're getting one a year at this point. Mm. So director Darren Lynn Bousman, who, this was his feature film, because what he'd done is he'd gone to Lionsgate and the the producing team, so Hoffman, Kuhlis and Berg, to pitch them an idea. And they said, oh, that sounds a little bit like Saw, so, they reworked it to be Saw 2. And then they kind of hired him to uh, direct it from there. So, it was written by Lee Winnell and Darren Lynn Ballisman. James Wan was on board as exec producer at this point, but had kind of gone away to do other things. It had a budget of 4 million. So, four times the budget of the first one. And I think you can kind of tell. And it went on to gross so 147.7 million. I think, I don't think that's worldwide, or it might be. Yeah, that's probably as worldwide actually. So, uh, to, to begin with some traps then, because the, this is the thing that these Saw films start doing, where they start off with a trap straight away. So it's mm. like, you know what you came for, here you go, have a bit of this, and then we'll get into the story. Yeah. So this starts off with a guy who is stuck in a room, and he's got a key behind his eye, and all he needs to do is get cut his eye out and take the key, and then he can undo himself from the trap. If he doesn't do it in time, it's like a reverse burr trap, um, as opposed to, I don't know Maybe no, no it's not, it's like a helmet it's like a helmet with spikes in it yeah. and basically if he doesn't do it in time it's going to close on his face and he's going to bleed to death essentially he doesn't do it, he dies we then get the title card of Saw 2 in right. terms of plots um, this is this is introducing an element which I think I like the most about the Saw films, aside from the traps and the ingenuity and all that kind of stuff which is the police presence I kind of like the, the cops and the Kind of layers that we've got to this. So this is introducing Detective Eric Matthews, played by everyone's favourite member of New Kids on the Block, Donny Wahlberg.
1: Yeah. I was about to say it's Wahlberg's brother, isn't it? It's Matt
0: Wahlberg. Wahlberg.
1: Yeah, it's his, it's his, brother.
0: The um the Wahlberg brothers as a little bit of a side note. Have got a chain of restaurants called Wahlburgers, and there's one in London. And when we were supposed to go and watch Hamilton, our plan was that we were going to go f- and and eat at Wahlburgers. Because they had a reality show about the building of the restaurant and stuff, and Amy was a big fan of that. And on the roof, or on the wall, was written all of the films that the Wahlberg brothers have been in. So you've got, like, Mark Wahlberg with, like, The Departed, Transformers, all this kind of stuff, and then you've got Donnie Wahlberg with, like, Saw 2, Saw 3, Saw (laughs) 4. Did you go, by the way? No, because we didn't end up going to watch Hamilton because of uh, COVID. How good were the burgers? Oh, well, I'll tell you when we eventually go, because that's still the plan, eventually. What's this reality TV show? Basically, there's three Wahlberg brothers. There's Mark, Donnie, and Paul. Paul is the chef who basically, I think his brothers put the money into him starting his own restaurant, and now that's that's where they've got the chain. So the reality show is about Paul running Wahlbergers with every now and again his brothers coming in to kind of cause a little bit of chaos. You see Donnie more than you see Mark, is all I'm going to say. Is Mark so, even in the programme? He's in it, like, twice. And I think he, he goes in and he's like, oh, we're going to shake things up a bit and do all this kind of stuff. And it's like, no, you're not. Um, and and Deck did something with him, actually, on Saturday Night Takeaway, where they had him do... You know, like, where they put a, an earpiece in and talk to him and tell him to do things. Yeah. He was in the Burgers in London doing something daft in there. <laughs> but anyway... So... Uh, so the police presence in Saw 2 is Detective Matthews. He is investigating Jigsaw and his son Daniel happens to find himself in Jigsaw's game for this film. Now, I think the thing that I like about Saw 2 and Saw 1 is that the game is essentially the plot to the film. It's the reason why the film is happening, because without that, and without the the, the game and the, and the process of the game moving forward, it all links in with Jigsaw. And without that, we wouldn't necessarily get anywhere. Whereas when we kind of get to like Saw 5, for example, the game in that one with the five people chained up at the beginning and all that kind of stuff doesn't necessarily link at all to John and Jigsaw and his apprentices and things like that. So I like this, that this all kind of still links in together. So... There's a couple of people in a house, they've all been involved, uh, all involved have been poisoned by a nerve agent and the antidotes are in traps scattered around the house. And back from the first one is Amanda. So Amanda was the person who was in the bird trap in the first one. She's in the house in this one. Um, She's been poisoned and he says, uh, the jigsaw tape says you can find the number to the code in the back of your mind. Which we later find out is because that he's painted numbers on the back of everyone's necks in different colours, and that is the code to the safe. And I think this is this is really where we start getting the kind of oh, so that means that, and like the, almost like smaller twists of oh, that's what he meant, or oh, that's where that was, and the kind of audience thinking about things and maybe trying to piece things together. Because I don't know about you, by the time I'd, I'd got to like maybe. Saw five or saw six. I was going in like proper conspiracy theorist, going that person's going to be that person, and that person's going to do that, and that person's going to do this. And turns out it was never, you know, that straightforward.
1: Stamina at this point Ads, so I'll be honest. Were you?
0: Yeah. We on
1: to? Oh, um, not up with this film. I mean, that you said six or oh, five and six. Well,
0: get comfy. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So basically, this. We cross-cut a lot between Matthews interrogating Jigsaw because he finds where Jigsaw is, trying to get any kind of emotion out of him. But Jigsaw, I think this is Tobin Bell's best performance for these films because he just sits there, texts it, fires back as many quips as he can do. And they're then observing this game that's going on in this house. So there's all these people. One by one, they die. So you get a guy who, a ghost, he tries to turn the key and he gets shot in the face with a shotgun. He's dead. You then get Obie or Obi, who goes into a furnace to get some antidotes, he burns to death, he's gone. Um Xavier throws Amanda into the needle pit. I think the needle pit is one of the famous ones from Saw Two, where yeah, she's the yeah. famous needle pit. Where she's just trying to she's just pulling through all of these needles on the floor and they just end up like sticking in her arm and stuff to try and find a key. Um, there's another one where Addison goes to a glass box and puts her wrists in and ends up kind of slicing her wrists as she's trying to get into the antidote. We bar- barrel through the film, we end up with Amanda and Daniel finding a trap door in the house, then lift the trap door up, they go down the stairs, they're into all these tunnels, and the big kind, one of the big twists is that this house is on top of the original bathroom from the from the first one, excuse me, and... Um, And that was, again, another one where I was like, oh, I like that. I like that these two really link together like that. So, and then it kind of leaves us there and we go back to Matthews and Matthews is trying to find out where his son is. And the kind of big final twist, or I suppose two final twists, is that the game actually isn't being played live, that it's all recorded. It was recorded two days ago when Matthews finally finds the house as he's going through Our first kind of inkling to that is that all of the bodies have slightly started decomposing a little bit. And when he eventually makes his way down into the bathroom, he sees a hand in the bathtub. He goes over thinking it's his son. He gets stabbed by someone in the pig face. And it turns out that Amanda has been fine the whole time and that she's been working with Jigsaw as his apprentice and that she's going to take over Jigsaw's legacy and games when he dies. Go on. You know, Donnie... Matt Walbert Hold Donnie.
1: Hold on. <laughs> I don't understand what like I, I like the fact that they introduce a different type of cop in this film. He's a loose cannon, really, with a temper. Yeah. And that's a bit different. Even though they're all obsessed with getting the, the Jigsaw killer, he's got a real temper on him, and I think that plays into Jigsaw's game even more. But I don't understand why does he why what do you know at the end? Why does he want to trap him?
0: What what's his sin? Donny? Donnie's sin. Why does why does Amanda end up trapping him? Everyone in the house has been arrested by Detective Matthews, or so Donnie Wahlberg's character. And yeah. it turns out they've all been arrested after he planted fake evidence on them,
1: right.
0: yes. on their person, in their houses, or whatever, yeah. to get yeah. that arrest. That's so it's correct. Like, yeah. yeah, so it's like, two, it's like two things going on, really. It's kind of like... Matthews is being tested because he's done wrong in his police work while all the people in the house are being tested because let's face it they are all still criminals and they've all still done bad things anyway yeah yeah. um so she kind of she injects him with something that kind of knocks him out and she chains him up in the bathroom akin to the first one Uh, I like to think that maybe at this point they weren't necessarily thinking about let's go and do another one that that might have just been a kind of oh that was a nice tie up of these two sequels at least Um because it's a big throwback to the first one so with the second one then so obviously like 2005 I would have been 15 at the time Um I think I had to wait for it to come out on DVD to watch a couple of it or a bit of it and I definitely did that Um and yeah I'd, I really like the second one I think the second one after the first is the, is the kind of second best one I suppose Um after that The kind of the order skews a little bit. So when you did your rewatch, so you watched Saw Three first. Did you do Saw One and Two back to back after that point?
1: Yeah. So again, this is around 2008, I reckon, because Saw Three was the first, and then quickly after that, um, within that same year, Two and One would have been watched. And I know it sounds hilarious, but I'm pretty sure I watched Two next.
0: Oh my days!
1: Then One. I know it's it's hilarious, but I think it's just I, I don't know why I think I have just got my hands on two before I got before one. Um, oh my god! I, I know. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> looking back, and it's quite funny to be honest. But yeah, uh, I watched two recently. It was uh, it just got put on Netflix. I think a couple of months ago.
0: Yeah, I think and
1: so. Yeah. I watched it, and yeah, it was really good. I mean, that scene with the needles—I remember that being a standout. But I just thought again, it. it The trap, it it raises the bar, doesn't it? I can understand what they were saying when the first one's like a thriller. The first one reminds me of like a thriller, but like a really creepy horror edge. Whereas it more does go towards like more of a horror film in the next one. But it's it's more, not just the traps that that appeal, it's the states they put them in. It's like humans' biggest fears. Like there's a lot of claustrophobia to Saw films. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Like people trapped in boxes or in rooms or it's almost like being buried alive it's that sort of feeling like it's, you always get with these traps um and that it's weirdly like,
0: things that you can relate to i think
1: yeah it's like your deepest fears like everyone yeah. has them sort of fears of lack of air or too much you know water or whatever it's like that sort of stuff and it plays into them fears um really well the story's really good and i and i think um Donnie Wahlberg plays a good character as Detective Matthews, plays into Jigsaw's hands, and it's a clever twist again, which I thought is difficult to do after the first film because people then are going to say, how are you going to top this? And I think they do a really good job by introducing an apprentice. The problem is after number two, I still like number three, actually, but I think that after that, the whole apprentice card gets so used, Mm. uh, it gets abused Um, I think they did it so clever in number two. And even three is a nice round off. I think it's a good trilogy. And then afterwards, I must admit, I'm not sure. The traps are still good and the ideas, but the story takes a hit after three.
0: There comes a point, I think, and we'll come to this a little bit more when we discuss Saw 4, is that there's something very specific that happens at the end of Saw 3. And I think maybe the producers thought, oh, wait a minute, we've kind of just done something big here, and I'll get to this in a minute. How are we going to carry on this series? And Saw Four essentially right has to It's is sort of backed into a corner, and they had to write themselves out of a hole of going right. Well, if we do this, we do this, we do this, we can carry on then. And yeah. I'll, I'll 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 alleviate that a little bit in a minute. Um, but yeah, no, I I really like the second one. I think the second one's good. So we then go into Saw Three in two thousand and six. Yeah. So this, again, was Darren Bousman, written by Lee Whannell, which is the last one that he kind of really had anything to do with. And it was produced by, once again, Hoffman, Coolers and Berg. Now, the the kind of bittersweet story to this with these three producing is that Greg Hoffman apparently died. Not apparently died, he did die. Um, I think it was after the second film. Right. Um, But what they did, out of respect for him and his family, is they kept his names on all the films after that, which I thought was really sweet, but obviously it's it's sad that he died. Um, it was uh, a budget of 10 million. So again, that had gone up quite substantially from the second one. Mm-hmm. And it, were, it went and grossed 164.9 million. So we kick off Saw 3 with Detective Matthews stuck in the bathroom, chained to the pipe, akin to Adam and Lawrence from the first film. Yeah. He picks up a saw, And immediately we think, oh, no, he's going to do it. He's going to do exactly what Lawrence Gordon did in the first one and he's going to chop his foot off. Instead, he reaches for a shattered bit of toilet lid that killed Zepp in the first one and he absolutely hammers the nonsense out of his ankle, snaps it and pulls it out of the chain and then sort of is left kind of crawling through whatever he's left at and then we get the title card of Saw Three. The... The main story for this one then is about Jeff. So Jeff is the person who's kind of doing the main test on this. Uh, His son has been killed by a drunk driver and he's put through a series of tests by Jigsaw in order to get him to let go of his vengeance for the man that killed his son. While this is happening, a bedridden John Kramer, so Jigsaw, and his apprentice Amanda kidnap Dr. Lynn Denlon, who is tasked with keeping John alive for one final test. So the idea is that Jigsaw actually spends a lot of this film, actually the most of this film, bedridden, dying from his cancer. Amanda is essentially the one that's doing all the kind of heavy lifting, uh, and then while the while they're basically trying to convince this doctor to save his life, save Jigsaw's life, Jeff is going through his tests, and there's a there's a there's a little bit of kind of police activity going on around it. Um, I got to-
1: code a little bit there though do you not think jigsaw's had to break his code a little bit i mean he sets all these people up in traps because he's trying to teach them a lesson but you know what since we've gone this far let's just do a little bit of ordinary kidnapping um let's just take the doctor um because she she you know we need to keep jigsaw alive for a bit (laughs) oh yeah like you know
0: i think (laughs) in a weird
1: way what moral standpoint is that, Jigsaw? What what lesson does she have to learn? I've been woken up in her bed and pinched. I um, was <laughs> so you can stay alive. What what? Where's your moral high ground on that one?
0: <laughs> keep me alive. I've stuck a shotgun collar around you around your neck, and you need to keep me alive. Because <laughs> no. um, I think I'm. I i do not know if I'm getting confused with this one or the fourth one. So I'm just going to skip forward a little bit because it's to do with when Amanda starts doing traps no it is this one i'm sure yes i think it is this one where the guy is uh in a classroom and he's got sort of chains attached to him and there's like two in his shoulder there's two in his achilles tendon there's two in his hands there's one big one in his mouth and he gets out for most of them and he goes to pull the last one but the, the timer goes off and the nail bomb detonates and kills him and then what we see after that is Kerry, who is this detective who, to be fair to her, I mean, she's had like a kind of minor role in the first one. She was featured quite heavily in the second one. She was featured a little bit in this one. She gets caught in a trap. She's trying to find where Detective Matthews is, because at this point, I think it's six months after. Mm. She gets caught in a trap, which is that kind of weirdly striking imagery of like an angel type thing, where she's got her ribs connected into this trap. And the idea is that there's a key in some acid she drops her hand in she gets the key out she unlocks the lock but she do, she can't release herself from the trap and then the trap goes off anyway and basically just pulls her body sort of two ways um and kills her and the idea behind this is that amanda keeps making these unwinnable traps and one of the kind of subplots of the film that gets revealed towards the end is that jigsaw is testing amanda for making these unwinnable traps because that's never what he intended. So, Jeff's game, then... I have a weird, I, I feel like I have a weird relationship with Saw 3. And I think it's because of one particular scene where, you know, in Jeff's game, the first person that he gets to is a woman who is kind of strung up and she's freezing to death. Yeah, And she kind of... Yeah. Um, I think it's... I think... I remember reading the director had to defend why there was nudity in that scene. So obviously it's a naked woman and she is in essentially a freezer and she's having water sprayed at her. And every time it gets sprayed out, it just essentially freezes because of how cold the room is. Yeah. And he said, well, it wouldn't necessarily make sense if she was wearing clothes in that scene. And for me, I, I kind of, I think I was of the opinion. I think I still am of the opinion that Saw was always better than that, that it didn't need to rely on, almost gratuitous nudity to get a certain element of the audience in or a certain fraction of the audience in. Whereas, you know, kind of like things like Friday the 13th, every now and again they just have, oh, there's a topless girl, she's been killed, just for the sake of it. I feel like we didn't need that, and I don't think this film necessarily needed that. And that kind of put a little bit of sour taste in my mouth. Um, so Jeff goes through all these different things. It turns out that the woman in the freezer room observed her his son being killed and just drove away. We then get to uh, the judge who was overseeing the whole thing, and he is the one who's locked in a big sort of vat that gets filled with sort of rotten pig carcasses, which is quite disgusting. And then we eventually get to the person who ran over Jeff's son, who yeah. is in this big torture rack thing, which I think is actually one of the most gruesome ones, where essentially his arms are strung, his feet and his head and eventually all these mechanical things are just going to turn and essentially break his bones um one of the funny things about this youtube channel that i was watching so this kill count is that he talks about jeff as a kind of he's slow he everything he does is slow and i think it's because he's, he's essentially looking and and dealing with the people in these traps who helped somebody get off from killing his son including the person who killed his son. So maybe I wouldn't rush too much into trying to save this person. Maybe I'd have a little bit of moral dilemma too, rather than just running in and going, oh yes, I'm going to save you right now, even though you killed my son.
1: I, uh, I don't understand what Jigsaw's uh, beef is with this one. Like <clears throat> with, with previous ones, I can see where he's coming from with certain lessons, but who's who's? why is it up to Jigsaw to tell another man how he should feel about... his his son being murdered or whatever. You know what I mean? Like that just seems not Jigsaw's business. Um, He
0: mentions in the initial tape that Jeff has been neglectful towards his daughter since his son died because he's been enveloped in his vengeance for these people who caused the death of his son. And we find out in a couple of films time that Jigsaw and Jill lost a baby So I'm kind of putting two and two together there and thinking maybe that's the way in that he's saying that you've been a neglectful dad and that, you know, this is... You should appreciate what you've got, essentially. But again, I I don't think that necessarily warrants Jeff being put in a game.
1: Yeah, and there's probably millions of people that, like, Jeff have to be the unlucky one.
0: Yeah, whereas, you know, somebody who, who killed somebody and got away with it isn't in a game yet. But the guy who, you know... Is going through tra- quite a traumatic period of his, ta- of, his of his life. Uh, is going through that. So, one of the kind of key se- sequences and set pieces of this film that people tend to remember is the brain surgery that happens. And I don't think I was expecting this when I went to go and watch it at the cinema, where um, basically John starts bleeding, Jigsaw starts bleeding, he kind of starts throwing up blood, and Lynn, the doctor, says to Amanda... You need to get him to a hospital. He needs treatment right away. He, we need to kind of relieve pressure that the brain, the, the tumour is kind of squashing against his brain, and then his brain squashing against his skull or something like that. And he needs to have this pressure revealed, uh, relieved even. And Amanda says, "Right, well, I'll get you everything you need, but he's not going to hospital. You can do it here." And it's, it's just, it's that thing of she's going at his head with essentially a circular saw and she cuts a square out of his skull, and it was proper kind of gruesome gore, kind of, I didn't expect to see this. <laughs> and weirdly, it's not... In in the weird way where a lot of the gore and a lot of the kind of violence in these films are sadistic, and it's like slightly voyeuristic, and somebody's watching somebody else do this to themselves. This was like, this is potentially giving this man slightly better quality of life for however long, but I don't necessarily want to see it. Um, and then we, we finally get to the ending, which I wrote down was essentially go big or go home. So Amanda returns with the news that Jeff has completed all of his tests, but refuses to remove Lynn's collar. Jeff reveals, She reveals that she no longer believes in John's philosophy and has, created in, and has been creating inescapable traps. She also reveals that she fought with Detective Matthews after he escaped the bathroom. So what we find out is that Matthews got out of the bathroom. He ran after Amanda. They had a bit of a fight. She kicks him in his dodgy ankle. He falls to the floor and she leaves him for dead, basically. Donnie's gone. Donnie's gone. Or is he? She refused to listen to John's warnings. Amanda shoots Lynn just as Jeff arrives. Jeff, who is revealed to be Lynn's husband, retaliates by shooting Amanda with a gun provided by John after his tests. As Amanda dies, so this is the thing that I was talking about, where quite a big thing happens. So they kill off the apprentice. In Saw Three, so you're like, right, well, I'm on a minute. How are we gonna do Saw Four? We'll come to that. Yeah,
1: in Saw Four, the studio uh, Mega
0: Box makes Mega Box. They went, hey This, this, uh, this releasing a horror film in Halloween, like it gets you some money, doesn't it? Yeah, make another. Keep, keep doing that. Uh, oh, boys, get some donuts. We need to write another one. <laughs> we'll figure it out. <laughs> so, as Amanda dies, John reveals that Lynn's test was actually hers. Obviously. It was my plan all along. <laughs> Aware of a modus operandi and unwilling to allow a murderer to continue his legacy, murderer, because, you know, he's not a murderer, John decided to test her. John then addresses Jeff, offering to call an ambulance for Lynn if he accepts one last test. Can he choose to kill John or forgive him? Jeff and tells John that he forgives him, but then slashes his throat with a power saw. Uh, <laughs> 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 As you do. Yeah, and then get this: as he's dying, right, the door to the room seals. John starts dying. He plays the final tape, and he goes, "Jeff, you should have left me die. Uh, no, you shouldn't. You should have kept me, let me live, because I'm the only person who knows where your daughter is. Because I've kidnapped your daughter. What? Why? What's she done? <laughs>
1: exactly. You're gonna <laughs> let your daughter die for nothing. And all this as the music is playing. Da-na-na. Da-na-na. Yeah.
0: yeah, that's going. That's Da-na-na. going. Tape ends. John dies. As he flatlines, Lynn's collar explodes. Lynn's dead. Jeff's just stood there, sealed in a room. What's he going to do? Jeff's world comes to like an end in seconds. Poor poor buddy, (laughs) Jeff. Jeff thinks, I've been through
1: enough. I feel sorry for Jeff. He's had all this trauma. He gets Uh this test and then he has to decide really quickly. (laughs) And then just just for a moment, he's angry at Jigsaw. He probably regrets that Power Saw moment. And then... (laughs) Seconds, his wife's head blows off. His daughter's trapped and he's trapped forever. So it's,
0: well, so- thing, isn't it? it's like, oh, by the way, where's, where's your kid? Oh, oh, wait a
1: minute. <laughs> <laughs> it used to crack me up with
0: that. Oh, um, so, a couple of tidbits before we go into what we really thought about it. um The production, this is hilarious, I thought. They borrowed the bathroom set. So, when they redid some stuff in the bathroom, from Scary Movie Four, which <laughs> parodied the first film, <laughs> Scary Movie Four, <4! laughs> because because they built a bathroom that they needed to kind of parody Saw in it, and whatever reason Saw didn't have this bathroom that they would used in the other one, they went, "Can we can we borrow yours that you built for that parody film that you did?" <laughs> Oh, it's like James James Bond. The recent James Bond film has borrowed Austin Powers' <laughs> Jaguar. <laughs> you couldn't write that, could you? No. Oh. Um and the one thing that I really like about this um is that the transitions that happen between scene to scene are absolutely crazy, but they work. So the idea being that not a lot of visual effects were used or digital effects. It was just that the sets were so close together. So there's literally one scene, I think actually in Saw 2, where Donny, Os- Donny Osmond, bleeding Donnie Osmond, Christ, that would be another <laughs> film altogether, wouldn't it? Donnie Wahlberg is leaving his house, and as he puts his coat on to leave his house, he walks into the next set where Kerry's walking, and it's a crime scene, and they do that a lot. Where So, for example, when the camera moves from Troy's crime scene, so the guy who's in the classroom and he's kind of pulled all his chains out, the camera goes to the floor, and it sweeps across the floor looking at all this stuff, and then it pans up. And as it pans up, we see Kerry in the bathtub. And what actually happened in that scene is that Kerry's there in the scene. She says something, and then the camera starts moving, at which point the actress is literally running out of the door, round the set, stripping all her clothes off to get into the bathtub, jumps in, and then you can, you can still see the water moving as the camera pans up and goes, oh, she's, like, oh, she's in bed, she's in the bath- Fine. <laughs> and they do that a lot They do it um, in Saw 4 And I'll mention that one when we come to that um, So first time I saw this um, And again I am not advocating That anybody go to the cinema and watch a film when they're underage But 2016 I was 16 uh, 2006 sorry I was 16 And uh, AMC in Manchester was showing 1, 2 and 3 On Halloween night as a back to back uh, so I went to I went to do that. I watched one, two, and three, um, which was good but long because we didn't get out till half two because they only started Saw three at midnight, um, <laughs> and it it was a bit like I've had I've had a horror film fill I think at this point. Yeah. Um, and it, I think for me, like I mentioned before about the nudity thing, I think that always kind of like irks me a little bit. It kind of throws me the wrong the wrong way. Kind of going back and looking at stuff, I can't deny that they've done it really well with the whole kind of jigsaw subplot that's running through and the brain surgery and all that kind of stuff and actually that works quite well this is where for me i think the saw film starts to lose the way a little bit in that the key focus isn't too much on the game and it isn't too much on the trap that these people are falling themselves into like saw five again we'll come to that in a little bit does that far too much where it's like okay there is a game that's going on here but we're not going to put too much focus on it because there's all this other stuff that's happening, whereas actually the key thing for these films should have always been, this is Jigsaw this is what he does, this is what he's done this time, whereas actually it's this is Jigsaw, he's dying oh wait a minute, the end of this one is dead where are we going to move on from here so if we kind of, if we take stock at a minute for the end of Saw 3 Jigsaw's dead his apprentice is dead, surely we finish there oh, no, wait a minute, we've got to our four.
1: So- I don't think it was intended to go beyond three. That's why no. that... What's he called? The writer. He didn't pen any more after this. He had finished it there. The yeah. story ends there. And, it's, and as much as they've tried to make it prolonged, and it's a studio decision, in my opinion, you can tell because the, the, the quality and the writing and whatever clearly doesn't have... It doesn't have the same as the trilogy, in my opinion, the first three. Mm. And John Kramer's the centre character and he sort of doesn't really he just he kind of just um he's a bolt on in a lot of the rest of the films. He's like like a sort of, you know he's just tacked on at the end or he's he's weaved in every now and again, like one gold thread just weaves through the film. He doesn't really he's not immersed in the story as much because everyone's just like, Well, he's dead.
0: So You know what we start getting to? We start getting to a point where this is essentially the Marvel Cinematic Universe of horror films, where we're going to just throw in that person from that film, from two films ago, where it's like, oh, wait a minute, do you remember this guy who was in Saw 1? Here he is stood in the background of Saw 5. Do you remember this person who was in Saw 2 for five minutes? Here he is in Saw 6. And it's like we get all these little Easter eggy things now at this point where it's like we'll try and tie everything together as much as possible. But actually, the writers then are essentially hamsters on those little hamster wheels running as fast as they can, thinking, how can we do this? How can we link this together? Quick, 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 let's do it. And it doesn't always work.
1: I think I think as well also, when you look at 4, which I know we're going to get onto, it loses its way completely for me because it's it's the, the writing decision was quite poor, where the, the, the next phase... You can tell when it's lazy writing because I think that the original writers are reinvented. The first three films are very clever, but in the fourth one, isn't it just he's got another apprentice?
0: Yeah.
1: I mean, come yeah. on. Like, we've, we've done the apprentice thing. Like, no, he's got another apprentice. And then what I don't like is John Kramer, for all his sins, he, people are drawn to why he wants to do it. Mm. Whereas the other characters, I don't find them as likeable. If anything, I think that they're kind of evil, the other ones. They kind of they loosely linked to Jigsaw because they had been taught a lesson in their past, but they don't have the likability that John Kramer does. I just feel like these guys are just full on murderers, um, a bit like the way Amanda goes in that in that sense. So yeah. I think the one who pulls it off is Kramer. Then after that, they shouldn't even call it Jigsaw. It's like just full on murder games.
0: Yeah, so... murder games. <laughs> <laughs> Jigsaw. <laughs> I, I actually, to be fair, I really like Saw 4. And I think that after 1 and 2, it's probably my third favourite of the series uh, for a number of different reasons, for stuff that we'll get into in a minute. But they have... Yeah, so they've switched writers now. So we're in 2007, we saw 4. Still directed by Darren Limbousman. This was his last one, so he did 2, 3 and 4. And yeah. we're, we're the writer team of Patrick Melton and Marcus Dunstan, who went on and did quite a few after this. We've still got the, the kind of producer... I will say trio because it's credited as a trio. Um ten million budget again, same, same as Saw three. Grossed 139.4 million. We kick off Saw Four. And again, because I remember Amy saying to this after saying me to this after um I watched the trailer for Saw Four, where I said, Oh, I've just watched the trailer for Saw Four, we'll have to go watch that one. And it comes out and she went, what do you mean Saw 4? He died in the third one. How are they gonna do another one? And obviously I think quite a few people might have had that reaction and just thought, Oh, it's just gonna get silly now. So the the film starts just to make sure that you know that Jigsaw's dead with him having an autopsy. So we literally see the autopsy. Um, uh, so, you know, no point now is he alive. And he they find a wax-covered tape in his stomach because, you know, anyone likes swallowing a wax-covered tape. And this reveals to Detective Mark Hoffman, who now has a bigger role because he was only in it quite shortly for uh, Saw Three that he will be tested that the games are still going on and that we, he, he will be tested. The games have only just begun, Apparently. Um, Oh, before I carry on, I dug something out. I, I can show you, right. And I can play it for everybody else, but look at state of this, right? So this was saw 4, the extreme limited edition, right? Just a DVD. Right. I don't have the DVD anymore. I think I okay. sold the DVD separately. Right. <laughs> but, Right, you press this. So, uh, Amy bought me this for my birthday in what yeah. would have been 2008. So, we're oh. talking 12 years ago, right, and it still works. Listen to this. You thought it was
1: over, but the games have just begun.
0: And then the sauce spins. There's like, there's like a motor in it. I just thought, I've got to dig that out. Anyway.
1: I suppose they could make plenty of money off that, because by at this point... Saw so I'd become a cult following now, hadn't it? Yeah,
0: I mean they did make plenty of money off it. I'm sure that was like twenty quid. <laughs> well, also, <laughs> exactly. I bought the doll. Well, I mean you can see the doll on my bookshelf, and then I've got another little one here, right? What so, what's the character called again? Is that Billy? This is Billy. 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 Billy the puppet.
1: Right.
0: Billy okay. the puppet. That just became the icon then, though, didn't it?
1: Yeah, he became every Halloween costume going forward, didn't he?
0: Yeah, and then the biggest issue was when you got like thirteen-year-old girls who were going dressed as Billy for Halloween, and then saying that they were dressed as Jigsaw. Get it right, people. (laughs) My God, like a seventy-year-old man with cancer. (laughs) I mean, I'll appreciate the girl that goes dressed as Jigsaw in a wheelchair, (laughs) morphine drip, dragging down the the street. Right there, (laughs) her sprayed out everywhere.
1: You know, it just reminded me just very briefly, we had a conversation about the Irishman last night when we were out. Oh yeah. I've not seen the Irishman, but someone like they were howling my friends because one of my friends really loves the Irishman. And one of them was just like, you know, this technology, it makes them look dead young. Yeah. Um, One of them was saying that Joe Pesci, he just looks old throughout (laughs) it doesn't (laughs) like it doesn't matter what they do, he just looks he just looks old. I've not seen the film, so I can't um I can't confirmed or deny that but it, it was so funny because this other one was like no no he's not he's not and it's just it was really funny because um his mate was just like he clearly just looks really old in it so yeah anyway sorry
0: carry on well no this is the thing so again this is a little bit of a side note but um the rate the recent wrestling games they've put in like different attires so over the years so it's like oh you can play as undertaker from 2002 but all they've done is they've taken the model of current Undertaker in the game and put him in 2002 clothes. So it just looks like old man Undertaker dressed as a biker. <laughs> this doesn't work. He must look terrible now. Has he retired? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Well, he says he has. He retired. Um, back. Well, I mean, side note again. You won't get the WWE network, but they've essentially done what they've done for Michael Jordan on Netflix and they've done the last ride, which is all about Undertaker coming up to the points, and he, he kind of reminisces on when he thought that was it and then goes back again and when he thought that was it and then goes back again and having both hip surgeries and stuff like that. Yeah. Uh
1: it's
0: good. Uh anyway, so for so uh so yes so for so Hoffman says finds out that he's gonna be tested. Elsewhere, two men one with his eyes sewn shut and the other with his mouth sewn shut, awakened in a mausoleum, chained at the neck by a winch. The muted man is able to kill the blinded man and freeze himself. Uh, The film continues the story of the Jigsaw Killers' obsession with teaching people the value of their lives. The big kind of key person in this one, who we've seen in the other films, is Daniel Rigg, who was in the second and the third Saw films. And he is one who's going through the big game here. So he goes home, uh, to get some rest or something like that. And he gets abducted by the pig mask. Uh, not abducted, sorry. He gets knocked out by the pig mask. He wakes up to find a girl in his front room. Who has a hair in like a long plait. And it's stuck into a, um, like a winch attached to this chair. And it slowly turns and kind of pulls the scalp off. Um, he saves her. But then she tries to kill him. And Jigsaw says to her. If he saves you, apparently this is like a no that, that she was left. If he, if he saves you, you need to kill him because he'll find out you're an escort and he'll report you to the police. Which again, I, I think the falling away from the kind of initial reason why these people are in these traps, because you can't say to somebody, "Oh, if you if he saves you, you need to kill him," because like. Yeah, you've not physically killed somebody, but you're still kind of complicit in that, surely. Yeah, exactly. See, this is where it loses its way. This is it. So, Hoffman is now a key character in this. We've got Daniel, who is obviously doing the tests, and then we've got FBI contacts Peter Strom and Lindsay Perez, who come into it as well. They're still trying to find Detective Matthews, and Rig is going through and playing this game. There's, there's a, I think the, my issue with Rigg's game is that It's everywhere. It's not contained at any point. He could have kind of just stopped, but obviously he didn't do because he was trying to find Matthews. And the promise was that you will find Matthews at the end of this game. So he finishes the one in his house. He goes to a hotel. He has to lure a rapist upstairs and into this hotel room, get him onto this bed with where he's like kind of attached by his arms and his legs. And the rapist basically has to gouge out both of his eyes with these kind of spikes in order to free himself, he doesn't end up doing that, he ends up dying, and then Rig then moves on to his next one. So, kind of skipping forward a little bit to the stuff that I think I like the most about this film, is that we see quite early on that Eric Matthews is at the end of Riggs' game, so he's still alive, and what had happened basically is that, even though Amanda left him for dead, somebody took him, kept him alive, basically imprisoned him for a little bit for six months... And he stood on an ice block, and the idea is that if the ice block melts, it will then electrocute Hoffman, who is on the other side of this kind of tipping scale. And there's this counting down timer, um, and Rig basically finds out that's where he is. So um, Rig finds out where this kind of big big thing is happening, where Matthews is. He goes in, and FBI agent Strom goes after him as well. So they're both kind of working through this building. then all of a sudden, we see Jeff from Saw 3. And he's walking around and all that kind of stuff. It's like, well, hang on a minute. He was sealed in a room at the end of Saw 3. So what's happening here? It turns out that Saw 4 runs concurrently with Saw 3. So this is what I was talking about before, where they kind of written themselves into a corner and how they were going to get out of it. We've killed, the prote- we've killed the antagonist. We've killed Jigsaw. We've killed his apprentice, Amanda. What are we going to do here? I know Saw 4... Will just take place at exactly the same time as Saw Three, and we can think of something new to kind of get ourselves out of the corner here. So, um, Strom ends up finding Jeff. He opened. He kind of he goes into the room after Jeff's kind of been sealed. Shot. Strom shoots Jeff. So I mean, you know, he's he didn't have a good time that night, did he? Um, no. <laughs> and then Rig gets to the room with Eric Matthews in at the point where Eric Matthews realises that the block that he stood on and he's got a gun in his hand, he looks up and he sees that there's these two massive more ice blocks connected to the door. So if somebody barges through that door, it will release these ice blocks and crush his head. So apparently the whole reason why Rig is being tested is that he needs to take it a little bit slower and that he needs to kind of not rush into things a little bit and that actually if he just let the timer count down everybody would have been fine because but because he's a hothead he rushed in killed Eric Matthews with the ice box shoots the lawyers in there as well taking control of the game and then the big reveal at the end of the film you know get get your saw music started again <laughs> is that Hoffman, Un- unwraps himself from the from the shackles, stands up, and Hoffman is now the next Jigsaw apprentice because we were kind of written ourselves into a corner here. Yeah,
1: uh, that's,
0: that's the end of Saw Four. Um, one of the kind of transitions, just to mention before we discuss about what we liked and what we didn't like. Um, so the idea of with Saw Three, where the actress ran from one set to the next, there's a scene in Saw Four where Rig fights the girl whose scalp gets pulled off. And he has to throw her into a mirror. And as he throws her into the mirror, apparently the mirror was CGI. There wasn't actually a mirror there. The actress fell onto a like a crash mat in the set for the police station, at which point somebody walks in through the door and starts talking to the detectives as they're in there. It gives it away, because as she goes through and into the set and the guy walks in the door, Agent Stram is looking at her on the floor... <laughs> Because this woman's just coming and falling on the floor as he's about to start his scene. They um, love that sort of style, don't they? Where it pans round and... Yeah, I mean, I, I find it quite intriguing, actually, how they managed to do it. And to be fair, some of it's clever, but I think some people just thought it was a little bit jarring. Yeah. Um. So again, I I, I like Saw Forward because I think what it does well is bring a couple of pieces of the, of the, the puzzle, for lack of a better term, together in that we get the kind of closure to Riggs' story we get the closure to eric matthews story i think the idea that matthews is still alive is is good and well thought out and planned i like that i think when i watched it in the cinema the idea that these two films were running concurrently had never kind of passed through my mind and i thought i like that that's really smart um what about you with four I think
1: it's like 4. Um, I didn't think 4 was a terrible film, but I just think it's the start of the decline. Okay. Uh, the trilogy is the strongest thing about the, the franchise, in my opinion, and it's clever, okay, yeah, sure, it links in a couple of things, but I think as a fan of, if you're a fan, sorry, of the sort trilogy up to this point, you're going to buy into four because they do bring in a couple of characters that are linked and they do say, oh, it was cleverly done at the end, how it's simultaneously linked with the third film, the timings and all of this. But I think that it does start to decline. I think it becomes less about Jigsaw, really, and the whole mission loses its purpose. Another Apprentice, I mean, they played that card, so you don't buy into it as much. And then it just sort of it's a solid film, but i think it does reveal that we're running out of ideas here and obviously the studio are just sitting there going more more they yeah. know they know they're onto summer and they're like we can do more merchandise like billy we can sell more billies you know and I, and yeah. i think i think that then it's like the stories are being sacrificed for just elaborate traps and and crazy deaths it is though it's, too bad it's, it's just sets the, the toll for the rest of them
0: i mean because if you, if you think about it in the if you knew and I, I said i tweeted something similar to this actually when disney announced that they were going to remake a lot of stuff if you knew that you were going to make money off something you'd do it wouldn't you yeah it's like a dead set straight off so if you knew that you could you could basically invest 10 million and get 10 times that back you're going to do it because all of these films grossed over a 100 million. So, you know, you, you, you only have to make one to bankroll the rest of them, and then you're just laughing with the rest of money. So you may as well keep doing it. But then that comes at the expense of, is this actually a good story? Is this actually clearly followed through and thought through? Because we get to a point with these films were some stuff seems smart, and some stuff seems like, yes, that's why it was put in there. So at the end of Saw 3 we see that Amanda reads something and it makes her upset. That's then teased in Saw 4, and I think it's finally revealed in Saw 5, that it's a note from Hoffman. But was that actually thought about when they wrote the third one? Did they know that they were going to reveal it in 5? Or are these writers and these producers going back to all the films going, oh, you see that little thing in that corner there? We'll bring it back in Saw 6 and say that it was something else. You see that thing over there, that box? we'll say that it was given to somebody in Saw 7 and we'll come yeah. back to it then. Whereas I think with something like the Marvel films, they come across as having clear, a clear idea in their head of when they're going to come back to something. Whereas this is just like they've fluked a lot of it. And a lot of it, I think they've just kind of tweaked ever so slightly that it becomes a little bit unbelievable that that thing actually happened. Um, but again, like I think I'm with you when you say that this is the end, this is the kind of beginning of the decline because I think the next couple of films aren't quite of that quality. There's one in there that I quite like, um, but I am I think I'm well in with you on that one. Thank you very much for listening to part one of this Saw franchise chat with Sam. We'll be back on Friday with episode two, which will take us through films five, six, seven, Jigsaw and the future of the series. In the meantime, you can support Farrandon Film by following us on Twitter, at Farrandon Film, by liking us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash Film, and leaving a five-star review at your favourite podcast provider. Stay safe, look after each other, and I'll see you next time.